Dave, what's this about makeup? Yeah, so did you ever wear makeup before? Uh, yeah, I have. I have. Yeah, probably in your um, um, acting uh, life. If that's what you want to call it, sure. Yeah, in my uh, mm -hmm. my, my theater days. Sure, I've worn mm -hmm. my share of pancake makeup and, uh, you know, mascara and whatnot. Sure. Yeah, yeah. So I, I actually did a video, and it's going to go out on November 12th of at the it's like the ibm virtual cloud summit and it was recorded before but we it, it went to, it's going to air on the 12th and um for the video it was like one of the most highest production value like events i've ever done where you know it's like i'm on this sound stage and um you know they they had me put get makeup on and then um uh you know they had like multiple camera multiple cameras and uh, a sound person and everything. And I, I was getting the makeup on and I'm like, you know, and, and it was funny. It's like, they said in the email, they're like, Oh yeah, you need to show up at eight o'clock to get your makeup on. And I'm like, what? And so <laughs> like, okay. And and so I get there and it's in DC and, and uh, the makeup lady, she's like, Oh yeah, I, I used to do like makeup for like uh, Oliver North's uh, show on Fox news of, you know, where he would like, they would have like all these like war generals and stuff like that. And they would come in and they're like, I'm not putting makeup on. And then they would get the makeup on and then they would leave wearing it. <laughs> they, they felt so much better about themselves. <laughs> That's fantastic. That's great. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. But I washed it off. I didn't, I didn't want to like be all like sweaty and, you know, runny and all that. And it just wouldn't look right. But anyhow, if, if people want a picture of me getting makeup, um, it's in the show notes. That's great. I feel like Dave, it's a lost opportunity. You could really, uh, throw sweater lady for a spin. Um, if, uh, mm -hmm. you went straight from the studio, hopped on the, uh, hopped on the airplane, sweater lady is, is sitting there and, uh, and she'd have to, she'd do a double take, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's my younger brother. Yeah. <laughs> yep. For sure. That's great. That's great. Yeah. So what, what have you been up to? Uh, well, I got a couple irons in the fire here. So, uh, first is, um, we were talking before the show, I've been, I've always felt bad about not being able to draw. And mm -hmm. so for the last year or so, when I do notes in Soren's lunchbox, uh, I'll do a little drawing on the cover of the, you know, the cover of the note. And that's become a nice little joke that we share. You know, we usually all illustrate something that we did that day or something like that. Um, that's kind of gotten my confidence up where I find is finally ready to take the plunge and start investigating my, uh, iPad sketching opportunities. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And nice. so, uh, I've grabbed this app, which I really like and can strongly recommend it's called concepts. Um, and we'll put a link to that in the show notes. Mm -hmm. And, uh, so you do all kinds of brushes, all kinds of colors, clever palettes, copying, pasting, importing, exporting, all the stuff that you would want. And where I find myself using it most is actually taking notes in meetings. Mm. So where before I would be taking notes on a, you know, on a keyboard, um, mm -hmm. or I'd be using just like the notes app. Um, I'm finding it, uh, literally having a larger palette has been made, made it a lot easier to take more and better notes. Mm. Um, and so, uh, I don't know, it takes some getting used to, you know, uh, I'm a traditionally, I'm definitely kind of a bullet list outline format, kind of a note taker guy. Um, yes. and so this is kind of a, cognitive stretch for me, but it feels healthy. It feels good. 
Yeah. And do you, I, I think, is there a fine line of like drawing to help you pay attention more in the meeting to the point where you're drawing so much you lose track of the meeting? That is certainly a danger. And so there's, there are several YouTube videos on this topic. Um, mm -hmm. But what you, the goal is not to create a good drawing, right? The goal is to kind of use an illustration to quickly communicate a concept. And so the, you, it, I am told it gets to the point where you start playing a game with yourself as like, what are the fewest lines possible to represent uh, the thing that you're trying to draw? Um, okay. And so it becomes a different kind of a challenge, right? Mm -hmm. where, you, where the challenge is, uh, I guess, speed or efficiency um, mm -hmm. instead of, uh, you know, instead of filling things in and making it colorful. Um, but uh, anyway, I'm, I'm really enjoying it. I think just the, the act of making it a little bit more fun to take the notes makes it more likely that I will take notes and good notes. Um, mm -hmm. at least mm -hmm. that's where it's falling for me now. So yeah, anyway, the, the app is great, really well done, um, and available on both, uh, both the iPad and Android. So it's better than say like Microsoft paint or like, like, how is it different than, you know, the plain old paint app? Great question. So it's, uh, it, uh, I think the biggest difference is that it's, uh, uh, all your strokes are actually vectors. And so you can do things like draw and then nudge. You have uh, several different kinds of paint brushes. Uh, and so especially with the, you know, the Apple pencil, you can, uh, it, it knows how hard you're pressing. And so mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I like using the, so I like using the dynamic pen is what they call it. And so the harder I press on it, it creates a little ink blot on the page. Um, so I can do thick and thin lines, things like that. Um, mm -hmm. You know, they've got watercolors, chalk, um, just a, like I say, just a, a better palette than you would get otherwise and easier to edit um, mm -hmm. when you're okay. done. So, right, yeah. right. Nice. Yeah, that's great. Um, and then when I got bored of that, I started working on a, uh, I found a new game, or at least new to mm -hmm. me. I think this game has been around for a while, but it's called This War of Mine. Mm -hmm. uh, I wouldn't call it fun, but it is engaging. Um, okay. You, you are in charge of a, a group of people who are uh, stranded in a, in a city uh, like Sarajevo or Raqqa. So there's a war going on. You're in an abandoned house and you have to basically scavenge to stay alive, find food, find water and sugar so you can make liquor, find, uh, uh, create simple tools to get jobs done, things like this. Um, and, uh, uh, I've played it through a couple times. Um, and in the end, everyone has, has died, um, mm -hmm. uh, for various reasons, either they get sick or they get shot by a sniper or something like that. Um, and I get the sense that there is, not an end guy. You know what I mean? I don't think there's a boss level to this game. I think this, right. I'm getting the sense that the kind of the point of the game is that in the end, uh, everyone, everyone meets their demise. Um, right. but, uh, the game is interesting in the way that it gets you into the world. Uh, it engages you in such a way that, you know, you play the first few days of the game in, in, the, in game time, the first few days of the game are interesting. You're trying to figure out, okay, how do I solve these problems? Oh, I need a, I need a saw to go get through this door or I need this lock pick to get the thing. And then by day 14, you are feeling the same kind of monotony and grind that your characters are feeling where it's just, okay, we're going to go to bed and we're going to wake up and we're going to do it all over again. Um, and so you get a little despondent, like you get a little taste of it. Um, it really mm -hmm. kind of puts you in the world, uh, mm -hmm. in a, in a kind of useful way. Um, so you, you don't walk out feeling, uh, accomplishment as much as you walk out feeling, uh, empathy. So mm. it's great. Okay. It's really well done. Okay. So there is some redeeming quality out of it. For sure. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's right. You become a little more human after playing this game, I, I think I would say. Yeah. Nice. Speaking yeah. of being more human, you, you got some stuff at the library too, right? Oh yeah, I found out this weekend. I don't know if this is I don't know if this is common, but the Austin Public Library system now has all the great courses, you know, they advertise in the back of the magazines. Mm-hmm. There's a bunch of great courses available to download as audiobooks. And so I'm on like hour ten of uh this history of the Western canon, which is great. Uh and um I'm just I'm I'm thrilled. It's uh you know, usually, you know, you look at these great courses subscriptions and they can get kind of costly. Um, mm-hmm. but, uh, but it, apparently some, or I guess not, probably not all, but, uh, several of these courses are now just downloadable from the library. I could just go grab them just like any other audiobook. It's great. Yeah. It's amazing how uh, like that stuff is there for the taking. And so few people know about the resources that are available at your local library. Yep. That's true. It's true. I was very pleasantly surprised. Thanks Austin public library system. Mm-hmm. Your tax dollars at work. Yeah, indeed. All right. Uh, what, what do you say? Do you want to get rolling here? Oh, yeah. Yeah. This is, uh, speaking of depressing, this is going to be a great show. Um, so, yeah, <laughs> wrap in. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, we got we got some good stuff on tap here. We're going to talk about reviving pig brains from the dead. Um, that's that's a, We're going to catch up on that. Um, we talked about in the past. And then we're also going to talk about making uh, human monkey chimeras. And uh, then we're just going to break into discussion groups and talk about whether we should be doing either one. <laughs> I'm so looking forward to this. I'll take all of this you got. This is yeah. great. Okay. Yeah. Good. Yeah. And then uh, cutting room floor, did did you see the uh, the cell phone case? No, I didn't. At the bottom? Yeah, scroll down there. All right. Yeah. I'm scrolling. I'm so, um, yeah. <laughs> This is not a good idea. <laughs> yeah, exactly. A terrible <laughs> idea. Um, cell phone case. It looks like a gun. Um, and the cops are like, don't do that. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. Um, so go ahead check that out. Um, and then the other thing in the cutting room floor is um, there's a, uh, speaking of games, and uh, there's a game on Steam called uh, um, Airplane Mode, where you're basically sitting in a window seat on like a big passenger jet. And it's like a, a six-hour flight. And you just sit there. <laughs> so what is so, it called? It's called airplane mode? Yep, yep. And, yeah, and there's a there's a, like a teaser video for it where, you know, you hear the just the roaring engine noise. It just vibrates you to the bone. Um, it's all in stereo, too, right? <laughs> so you could hear this crying baby just, like, screaming off to the side. And then this person starts coughing. And then there's these really long PA announcements. And, <laughs> and then, then you could, like, click on the, the window shade, and it goes up, and it can go down. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. So it's – and that's – I was thinking, wouldn't it be kind of uh, – nice and recursive to actually do that on a plane oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. sure I, I was thinking this sounds uh this sounds actually like a sales engineer simulator <laughs> <laughs> yes yes exactly that's yeah. <laughs> expert level <laughs> yeah, that's right are you are you are you interested in a career in sales engineering <laughs> download <Yeah>. this game <laughs> <laughs> yeah if you get the hour six you're hired <laughs> yep yeah all right. So, oh, we got some viewer mail. Oh, good. I'm ready. Yeah. Uh, friend of the show, uh, John Scott, uh, he, he writes in to us. And um, 
this is a little while ago, so it's finally got a chance to talk about this. But um, so, you know, with all the trade sanctions going on between like China and the United States, um, you know, there is um, like GitHub, uh, they've been sanctioned where, uh, or, you know, they're not allowed, uh, nations sanctioned by the U.S. government uh, can't have like private repositories and all that. Mm-hmm. So, like, if you're in China and you want to sign up for GitHub and have a private repository, you can't do it. Mm-hmm. And um, so you can imagine the effect on, you know, participation in the open source world and all that. And then Huawei is like, okay, um, you go ahead and blacklist us if you want, United States. Uh, so what they did was that they created their uh, China's first open source foundation uh, for uh, Harmony OS, which is a, a rival to Android. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so, and, and they're basically saying, you know, we're not doing this because we want to, we're doing this because we have to. And, uh, uh, John Scott says that, Hey, the Chinese tried to do this before with red flag Linux. Um, it didn't work and he bets this won't work either. And, um, you know, talking about IP and everything and and wondered if we had any thoughts about it. So what do you, do you have any take on this? Yeah. So, I mean, there's a couple, there's a couple ways to think about it. I think the, um, the first is that I know there were questions about uh, whether GitHub was doing the right thing, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but and obviously with the U.S. sanction, the, they don't really have a choice. They're right; um, they have to uh, they have to honor the sanction. Um, right. The uh, this does highlight for me the hegemony of GitHub and how mm-hmm. problematic that is. Um, mm-hmm. Where now suddenly uh, a huge number of open source projects have a choke point, right? I mean you know, things like GitLab exist. And I mean, there, there, there are alternatives, but yes. the network effects make a GitHub an extremely powerful uh, force of collaboration. Right. Yep. Um, and so however, however much collaboration is enabled by open source licensing and all the rest of it, the, the fact of GitHub um, being a kind of a really important tool for a lot of open source communities means that there's now kind of one place a, com- a country can go like the United States to go, uh, basically split up the communities and, and, and kind of diminish them. Right. Mm-hmm, okay. Mm-hmm. So that's, the, that's one thought. Second thought I had was, um, around with Chinese developing an alternative and, uh, I can understand why they would develop an alternative. It sounds like they need one, right? If they mm-hmm. don't have access to GitHub, they got to go, they need something else. Right. Um, mm-hmm. and I think that's, that makes perfect sense. I don't, I don't see anything wrong with, with China doing that. Um, I think we can all agree that the sanctions will eventually go away. And then there's the question of, okay, well, how do these things get reintegrated? Um, Depending on how long the sanctions go, you know, maybe it's only a year, in which case probably not a big deal. Maybe it's much longer, um, in which case we we will have probably a pretty massive fork. Um, Either we'll have a massive fork of several important projects, or uh, we will have discovered that um, water finds its level and... Mm -hmm. uh, patches have somehow made their way into mainland China. Right. Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, um, and so, the, so the sanction against GitHub is actually not that big a deal. Um, so that'll be interesting. Um, but I certainly don't begrudge China or Huawei. I think it was actually doing it. Um, actually setting up a platform like that. It sounds like they need one in the absence of GitHub. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the third layer on this for me is the, the question of harmony OS itself. And, um, it is easy, especially in the context of the trade war, it's easy to describe Harmony as like uh, uh, a hostile fork of Android or like parasitic somehow to Android. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if that's true. Uh, I, I don't I don't know enough about Harmony OS or and whether it's 
um, infringing on anything interesting in the in the Android OS. But at face value, uh, it sounds like Huawei's doing exactly what you're supposed to do in an open source project, which is if you mm-hmm. want control over it, you go create a fork. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, hopefully, maybe Google and Huawei figure out a way to cooperate. Um, it seems it would seem weird for Huawei to basically cut itself off from the stream of innovation coming out of Google, right? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Which is what they did. Um, but again, maybe Harmony OS is just like a layer of additional function on top of kind of the core Android platform. In which case, probably not that big a deal. I don't know. What right. do you think? Yeah, and that, and maybe it could be a lot of it could be like the difficulty of getting like the Google apps and Play Store and all that in China mm-hmm. um, is is a challenge. But and you know the other thing I think about too is the do you think that there could be in the same way that you see like oh all these VPNs showing up all over the place around the world to you know per, you know for people that are concerned about privacy do you think that there could be like these little um, get like little mini uh, GitHubs uh, seeing a business opportunity whether it's <clears throat> sovereign to a particular company mm-hmm. or I'm sorry uh, sovereign to a particular country mm-hmm. or um, maybe like in Switzerland or something like that where um, maybe sanctions don't have a place. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, I'm sure this is a conversation at GitHub, right? Like maybe there is Mm -hmm. a, maybe there is a, um, maybe there's an operating company that goes, goes and sets up shop in whatever. Um, yeah, Switzerland, right. Pick a country, um, which has a little more freedom of movement and is a little more, um, insulated from geopolitics. Right. I could, I could see that would make a lot of sense. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, it's a tricky spot for GitHub to be in, um, mm-hmm. and uh, also it's it's not at all clear who's winning here. Like, <laughs> this yeah. is this is it, this is this is actually a really good example of why uh, sanctions are uh, often self harm, right? <laughs> like, uh, the only people losing here are the the actual communities on GitHub, right? Uh, because now a whole bunch of potential contributors and users have been partitioned off. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, things work better when there is a free flow of uh, free flow of innovation going back and forth between different parties. And if we now have two ecosystems instead of one ecosystem, um, well, that just makes the pie you know half as big. Right. Yeah. Less or less than half. Maybe. Right. Yeah. But um, or the less than two halves. But what about um, you know the other thing I think about too? It's like oh, it's GitHub, and it's but GitHub is software as a service, mm-hmm. and isn't this also the peril of, you know, the thing you got to worry about with the cloud? And, you know, we're always talking on our stump speeches about the need for open hybrid cloud. If you get mad at somebody, you can go somewhere else. And, um, and, and in some cases you may love GitHub, but, um, you know, what if, what if either due to law or sanctions or, um, you know, a lot of times too, there, there are companies that will, it's like, I object to your business, you know, what you're doing, Mr. Agency, uh, for political reasons, and we're going to stop selling to you. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they can get shut off. Whereas you could, if you bought your software or you run it in-house and you own it yourself, um, you have a lot more control. But yeah. what, what do you think about, like, the the cloud and the ability to just flip a switch and turn people off? Yeah. Well, that's, uh, obviously, that's not great. Um, I think more interesting is the question, especially because of the way the Git, uh, the Git system is architected, it's actually really easy to take your code and go somewhere else, right? Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, it's designed to do that all the time. So mm-hmm. what is actually, the reason why GitHub is, uh, the reason why it's painful to leave GitHub or, or 
the, the reason why it's painful to leave GitHub is because of all of the services that they've built up around that core sharing infra infrastructure, right? Mm -hmm. It's things like the issue tracking. It's things like now they have like CI CD pipelines that you can capture in Git. And for a project to leave GitHub, all those additional services around the core Git framework um, are, that's what, that's where the damage is done, right? Is, is losing yes. those additional services. Um, and so, uh, you know, in one sense, you could say my exit strategy is to just take my code out, but like careful which services you've chosen to use. Like even the issue tracker is going to be that's native to GitHub. Like you're not, you're not going to be able to easily transfer that uh, to a different system. Um, yep. And same goes for, you know, uh, this is our stump speech about AWS, right? Like if you enjoy the AWS infrastructure services, the EC2, great, good for you. Just be mindful that you're going to be kind of inexorably drawn to the dozens and hundreds and thousands of other ser services that AWS wants to sell you, whether it's mm -hmm. identity management, patch management, um, security monitoring, on and on and on. Um, if you are all jungled up with the Amazon services, uh, you know, you think you're in the game just to rent some cheap computing by the hour and before you know it, you're covered in eels. Yes. Yes. Yeah. No. And that's true of any cloud provider. And, and these are the types of things that a lot of times when I talk to uh, C-level people about exit strategies, and I know you've talked about that for years, right? Mm -hmm. <clears throat> of, you know, have that, have an exit strategy as part of your cloud strategy. Uh, so important. Totally agree. Totally agree. Man, China should have had an exit strategy, huh? Oh, uh, yep. Yep. Let's get, let, uh, man, let's get to the brains. I want to hear, I want to yeah, hear. Let's the, the, here. Yeah. What's the yeah. brain situation? Yeah. So you remember, um, episode 165 where we talked about brain X like it was yesterday. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and, you know, we talked about the pig brain in a bucket and mm -hmm. trying to keep it alive. <laughs> yes. Uh huh. Yeah. Uh -huh. So, um, there was an article that, um, <clears throat> it goes into a lot more detail. It was, uh, New York times really dove into a really long article. It was great. I recommend you check it out. But so they, they talked to the, uh, the people and it's, it's the, uh, Yale neuroscience department. Um, there's some folks there where, you know, it's like, Hey, if we can get, you know, can we culture grow and activate, um, brain tissue that was for all practical purposes, entirely dead. Hmm. And they were able to do it and keep the, the brain cells alive for several weeks. Okay. And so then they were thinking, well, you know, it's like, why stop, you know, why, why only do individual brain cells? Why, why don't we get like, um, you know, how like you, you, um, uh, slice up a brain. Why don't we get a whole slice of a brain and, and try to keep that alive or, or try to bring it back to life and see what happens. So, <laughs> Okay. Do you, do you want zombies? Because this is how you get zombies. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. And and then you know they keep on going. And they're like, well, um, why why stop at slices of brains? And that's our picture of the week. Um, a nice little slicer there. Um, and but you could you know why not just reactivate an entire uh, brain? And you know so they they interview like Yale's morgue manager, which is great. Um, didn't know that Yale had a morgue, um, but you would think they do with their medical student and everything. Right. Um, but, you know, it's like they, they go into this and then they're talking about, you know, they're interviewing this other guy about um, uh, consciousness and, you know, why it can't be computed. And and uh, uh, he says that experiences um, that, uh, okay, the chance that an advanced 
organoid experiences anything that a person feels, distress, boredom, uh, or a cacophony of sensory impressions is remote, but it will feel something. Um, and then he, ideally he adds, uh, it would be best if the tissue was anesthetized. <laughs> oh God. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And so like, so they're talking about putting in these safeguards in place, right? Where you, you put these blockers into the, you know, so you're bringing this brain back to life or brain slice or cells back to life. Um, but you had these blockers to the brain that will prevent the rise of electrical activity. Um, so that, um, that if in the case you six, if you do succeed, it the neurons won't do anything, uh, close to resembling consciousness. Hmm. Okay. Um, but still as a, as a safeguard, um, in his lab, he keeps a syringe full of uh, powerful anesthetic, uh, just in case. Ooh. Yikes. <laughs> this is, yeah, this is okay. The story is getting more grim as you're, as you're going down. Okay. Yeah. So let's talk about the worst case scenario. Yeah. Okay. okay. Yeah. Why not? <laughs> let's dial it up here. And, and so um, they talk about a, a partly revived postmortem brain trapped in a feverish nightmare, perpetually living, reliving the very moment of its slaughter. Um, imagine the ultimate sensory deprivation tank. Um, you know, there's a member of NIH's neuroethics uh, working group uh, said to, to the reporter, he said, no inputs, no outputs in your brain. Nobody can hear you scream. You got that right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So then, you know, they were talking about, um, uh, you know, that the, you know, the results that they were getting is were pretty astonishing that they were um, they were able to actually have. Um, you know, maintain this, this semi, you know, living state for six hours, uh, with the organs, um, and be able to restore metabolic function in most of the brain. Um, and then the, the dead pig brains took oxygen and glucose and converted them into metabolites like carbon dioxide that are essential to life. Jeepers. Yeah. And then you're, you're probably wondering like, okay, why are they doing this? And, and so the thought is like, well, why don't we do this for, it's an ideal model for testing out drugs or uh, think about things like on the battlefield where, you know, somebody is, you know, maybe clinically dead and being able to uh, bring them back to life or think about first responders. Ugh. Well, this is, this is the, this is some rich black mirror material, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If there was a way to salvage your brain, um, knowing that when you were revived, uh, you would be living in, um, a, uh, no input, no output hellscape. No, I wouldn't want that. No, thanks. Nope. No, no, I get that tattooed on my forehead. No, <laughs> no, no brain preservation, please. Yeah. DNR. DNR. Yeah. <laughs> no yeah. code. Yeah. <laughs> Emphatically no code. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, let's, let's change the subject a little bit. Uh, let's talk about human monkey chimeras. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Why not? Right. So, um, so one of the things that they've been, you know, so like, you know, Alzheimer's disease is a terrible disease. Right. And mm -hmm. so how do you do research to, you know, figure out, um, you know, like what are the possible drugs or therapies that could be done to help reverse Alzheimer's disease? And so the, 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 challenge that you run into is that if you're doing it with, uh, say like rats, um, the rats are a long way from, 
a human brain, right? Mm -hmm. So it's pretty hard to, um, you know, to get something that's representative. Um, but um, a monkey brain is kind of close. So, hey, why not? Um, and so what they did, uh, so there are some people at, um, uh, in Queens University, um, that they are implanting monkeys with fragment, fragments of human brain tissue that are extracted from people who have Alzheimer's disease. Okay. Okay. Um, and then now they're even going further, um, where, um, you know, where, what they want to do is, um, uh, basically have entire portions of the brain like the hippocampus hippocampus entirely human derived yeah that's what we call uh that's what we call scope creep mm -hmm. <laughs> in the yeah. game right yeah like, uh i guess that makes it a more accurate model for them is that yes is exactly that, okay. all right of, yeah we're experimenting on this and there have been talking there's these chinese researchers that have announced that they've inserted human brain the human brain gene into monkey embryos that's not yes. great Yes. And, and so, you know, so in theory, you could generate a human hippocampus in a monkey uh, by injecting stem cells into a monkey embryo that's been uh, hippocampus disabled. And uh, uh, guess what school is doing that? Oh, yeah. It's Yale. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yep. It's Yale. Yale people. Yep. So another another data point for the uh, for the conspiracy wall, for the, the skull and bones conspiracy wall we've mm -hmm. got going. Yep. Yeah. yeah. So imagine, you know, at what point does the the monkey become human? Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. and and does it deserve the same moral status? And what you know, what do you, you know, can you uh, give a monkey Alzheimer's disease or psychiatric illnesses like bipolar disease or, or things like that? Yeah. Yeah. Well, the, you know what really stuck? Uh, yes, to all those questions. The um, those are all very good questions to be asking about this. The thing that really struck me though, is, um, the, the crudeness of the proposal, like just creating a human monkey chimera by taking a human hippocampus and putting it in a monkey skull. Like that seems, that seems like that's like a Victorian novel, right? It's mm -hmm. like Frankenstein, the idea that you can like assemble a, a new body from body parts. Mm -hmm. Um, and I don't, it just seems so crude um, that just instinctually, it seems like that's not going to be productive, right? We're not going to get what we want out of that. Like so ethical questions aside, I'm surprised. Yeah, that or, yeah. Or is it like grafting or something, you know, right. like, yeah, right. like you do with plants. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I wonder, is this how Planet of the Apes got started? This is exactly how Planet of the Apes got started. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right. This is exactly right. Yeah. All right. And then they so, broke it. They broke out of the lab, and then they went into the pig lab and set all the pigs free, all the pig brains. <laughs> right. Yeah, that, that was Animal Farm. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's right. And then the disembodied pig brain runs the farm. Right. That's you know exactly. Mm -hmm. So yep. all hippocampuses all are equal, equal, but some hippocampuses are more equal than others. That's it. yes. Yeah. Exactly. All right. So how, how about a palate cleanser, please? Okay. Let's talk about a robot fish that powers itself with fake blood. Yeah, now you're cooking. All right, tell me yeah. more. All right, yeah. Let's keep on going. We're on a roll here. <laughs> so, um, Cornell University, not Yale, mm -hmm. um, and and the uh, uh, Cornell and the University of Pennsylvania is pretty cool. They have this thing, and you can see a video of it of this like 
translucent sort of fish thing. And, but the way it, it, it floats around, it almost looks like, um, like a, like a rubber surgical glove, mm -hmm. but filled with this like fluid and, and like hydraulics to propel it. Mm -hmm. But the hydraulics also have like an electric light in it and, you know, like, like a, like a power source in it. And the fluid carries energy to be able to propel the motors. Oh, I see. So it's a, it's basically like a, like a potato clock. Except yes. with fish and blood. Yes. Got exactly. It. Why not? <laughs> what is, um, do, we have, do we have any insight on the potential applications uh, for this uh, uh, bloodfish? Uh, well, it's, I think a lot of it, the thought is, um, like, when you're trying to figure out ways to... Um, like power robots, whether it's like, like micro devices or things like that can, you know, can the, you know, the, a lot of times the battery source is, you know, can it be put to work or like, or whether you're using some sort of hydraulics, can that, mm -hmm. can those hydraulics be a power source to right. make things more efficient? Yep. Yep. See, that's a, that's a good, that's a good answer. That's like a sensible uh, answer with uh, no ethical implications. Um, yeah. Unlike those sociopaths over at Yale. <laughs> These, yeah, people, these people at Cornell's, you know, they're head on straight. Yes, exactly. <laughs> right. For sure. Has yeah. it, do you think it's always been like this? Like, cause I mean, you and I do this show and it seems like every two weeks we can come up with like some insane Dr. Frankenstein, um, mm -hmm. ethically super dodgy, uh, research <laughs> that's a, running around. Like, has it always been like this or is this, or is this new? Um, no, I think it's been around for a while. You know, it's like, um, you know, people have been doing bizarre experiments for a very long time. And, uh, yeah, like I, I can imagine, like, uh, you remember the, the, the good old days of the operating theater right? where you know everybody's gathered around watching somebody cut something open or whatever. And the surgeons, like they didn't even know that washing your hands was a good idea. Right. And anesthesia was a, was it, was it? on the horizon right yeah anesthesia yeah it was like whiskey yeah, and right. a belt to chew on yeah yeah i guess that's right yeah and it was uh it was very recently that the medical profession stopped raiding graves uh for bodies to work on too right that was the other yeah thing. they just go to the slaughterhouse and get pig brains yeah 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 so progress question mark yeah maybe you decide it <laughs> should be maybe that should be the new that should be the new uh uh, the new tagline for the show <laughs> progress <Yeah>. question mark <laughs> <laughs> right yeah yep. all right cool well dave uh if folks uh want to see the oh if folks want to see this really remarkable photo of a of a, a brain cutting device um mm -hmm. or if they want to check out uh the most dangerous cell phone case on the market <laughs> um what website should they go visit or if they just want to sit quietly on an airplane and not, <laughs> yeah, not right. do anything. Um, yeah. They, they want to go to uh, dgshow.org. So D is in Dave, G is in Gunner, show.org. All right. Thanks, Dave. Thanks, everyone. Yeah. See you all later.